0: God's sake, Higgins, it must be three o'clock in the morning.
1: Do be reasonable.
0: I am always reasonable. I know your headaches. I know you're tired. I know your nerves are as raw as meat in a butcher's window. But think what you're trying to accomplish.
1: Just think what you're dealing with. The majesty and grandeur of the English language is the greatest possession we have. The noblest thoughts that ever flowed through the hearts of men are contained in its extraordinary, imaginative and musical
0: mixtures of sounds. And that's what you've set yourself out to conquer,
1: Eliza. And conquer it, you will. I'll try it again. Dynonicus. What was that? Is it
0: Dynonicus? Is that what we decided?
1: Dynonicus?
0: Again. Dynonic. Dynonicus? Dynonicus.
1: I think she's got it. I think she's got it. <laughs>
0: Hello and welcome. I wasn't talking to you, I was talking to the listener. Sorry. Almost 160 of these things, don't you know how it works by now? Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Lucky Paper Radio. My name is Andy. I'm here as always with
1: my co-host Anthony, sorter of Sands Maddox. Mm, I was wondering what it would be because I don't think I did anything interesting this week. Sometimes I gotta dig deep. You're just digging deep. Just like you did in that sand. My first summer job was sorting sand in a lab.
0: That'd be a pretty good legendary card, like, epithet for you. Anthony, Sorter of Sands. That sounds cooler than it is. What would it be mechanically? What would the card Sorter of Sands do? Uh, I think it's you tap s- it to loot, and uh, if you discard a, a land... desert card, specifically? I think, I think we just, I think brought it a little bit. If you discard a land, then you, what, get a un- treasure? Tap a land. How good would that be? Like a merfolk looter, but you discard a land, you get a treasure token
1: probably pretty good i kind of like probably
0: it nuts actually I, well i mean I, I didn't give you any mana cost or anything you said I, merfolk looter it meant like ask you small creature anyway okay i like that kind of because you know the land is an ongoing resource you discard it to get a temporary resource of the same kind yeah hit us up with your custom designs for anthony sorter of sands we can't read them on air, though, because people from Wizards listen to this show. So,
1: <laughs> so just know that's. And sorry that's, I said a custom card. Just uh, for uh, us. I did.
0: Uh, uh, that wasn't a custom card, I swear. Yeah. This is another episode <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> the podcast you listen to about Great. Magic the Gathering. This is a show about Magic the Gathering. And what Anthony and I like about the game Magic the Gathering.
1: What do you like about Magic lately, Anthony? I like making cool spreadsheets yeah, <laughs> and yep, writing yep, regular expressions yep, yep. about yep. Magic the Gathering. We got back.
0: A bit a week ago now, from a long weekend of playing lots and lots of Magic. One of the cubes we played was Parker's Pulp Nouveau Cube, talked about in the show before. And
1: Skipping right past my, my first ever three o of the Turbo Cube. I still can't really believe it's your first ever 3-0. I don't do well with that cube, I think it's maybe usually. the first one you remember, but you must have 3 before. It's possible.
0: I really don't think so. It was a good deck. It was a cool deck, yeah. You did the thing, and you went Turbo. Anyway, you were saying... My Turbo Cube deck was great at killing myself it was nice w- i took so many game actions and then i drew my whole deck on turn two and said good game <laughs>
1: shake <laughs> yeah you thought really really hard before I you said, finally conceded to your opponent doing nothing that was actually amazing peak peak turbo cube experience i
0: said sorry my mystic redaction is much too far down
1: <laughs> well i took a really long t- here's the deal. it took a really long time to figure out because i had trade
0: routes in play uh-huh. and i had a crucible of worlds and basically i could have cycled plenty of cards with trade routes to kill my opponent with mystic redaction all these cards will be on the cards mentioned page if you don't know what they do mechanically so you can check that out luckypaper.co slash podcast slash 159 slash cards we have this for every single episode we do anyway i had all these cards in play and i could definitely cycle enough to mill my opponent out but the problem was i was going to draw my entire library first Mm -hmm. and so i took a long time trying to figure out is there a way with trade routes that i can make it so my opponent draws to all of their Mystic Redaction triggers before I draw to any of my activations of Trade Routes. After discussing with Bones, listener of the show, and and Judge, who at first said, no, there wasn't a way to do that, and then realized, actually, there is. For those that care, it's interesting, because you have to activate Trade Routes, let the Mystic Redaction trigger come off the stack, then activate Trade Routes again. Like You don't hold priority and activate them all in a row in any combination, because then you always have to alternate. But if you activate... Wait for the Mystic Redaction Mill to happen. Activate again. You can basically make it so they do all the milling before you do any drawing. So you you sh-
1: you could have won, or no. you
0: I, I figured oh, I figured right. all of this out because I figured all of this out. What I can do is I can empty my opponent's library completely, and then I get to draw from my empty library. But I can't make them draw a card. I can't make them draw a
1: card. So my deck
0: was uh, very, cool. very functional and didn't win a match. I mean, you were,
1: it was just it was just a race. Uh, you versus a different part of you. Yeah, I'm my
0: own biggest enemy. What can I say?
1: I'm glad that an interesting rules conversation came out of the Turbo Cube last year. I was I was talking to Bones as well. I was like, what, what like issues came up? What cool things happened?" He was like, "You know what? A lot of people tried to cycle from zones that weren't their hand. That was really that's the only so thing weird. That happened. It's weird because that has nothing to do with the turbo ness of it. I it, I mean, there's a lot of cycling cards, and yep. they are free, and yep. cards. Just, cards are just flying around all kinds of zones. So what people trying to like
0: cycle off the top of their deck with like future side I effects think, or something. I think
1: that and I think also cycle from exile with things like galvanic relay that exile a bunch of things so you can play until end of turn. I can I've see, definitely gotten I can into see how that would happen that. where yeah. you'd be trying to cycle because it's kind of like it's in your hand, you know. It's kind of, yeah. Or we've had issues before with, like, cycling and... What's, uh, Paulo Vito Dama card? Uh, Elite, Elite Spellbinder. Spellbinder. Uh, people have tried to cycle that card, and it's like, well, this is slightly different from the other card that works... Kind of the same, except this what? one actually exiles it from your hand rather than just giving it a text oh, to a card. Oh, they're trying to named. cycle the card. You, I thought you said right. they
0: were trying to cycle Elite Spellbinder. You can't do that. It doesn't <laughs> yeah, have you not to cycle.
1: <laughs> that's a different. That's a different problem. Yes,
0: yeah, so you can't cycle a card that has been named with Elite Spellbinder, and you can't respond to them naming it because choosing it is part of the resolution of the ability. Yeah. So once they've chosen it, it's out of your hand. No more cycling.
1: You know, talking about the nuances of the Magic rules is also a thing I enjoy about Magic.
0: Bones, I value your friendship and I value your knowledge as a judge. Turns out I could, in fact, make my opponent jump their entire library into their graveyard, but did not matter. Still couldn't win.
1: Maybe we need more forced draw in that cube.
0: I certainly was looking around like, man, I wish... Because I could also draw my whole deck, obviously. I was like, I wish any of these draw effects were targeted draw instead of you draw. But they don't do that so much these days on account of Arena. And oops, I misclicked and made you draw a card. And now I'm giving you one star in the Steam store or whatever. (laughs) The Steam Room. Is that what they call the place we get all the Steam games? That would only make sense. They should call it the Steam Room. That's a freebie on me. Anyway, we were playing the Pulp Nouveau Cube, which is Parker's take on a desert cube where you have access to basic swamps, but no other basic lands. So you have to draft
1: any plains, islands, mountains, or forests you want. And so if you want to just draft black cards, you're all good. That's easy. If you want to draft a blue card, you're also going to want to draft some basic islands that are or in Or not basic lands that tap for blue basic lands more often, I think. Or to be able to cast that. Yeah, it's an interesting cube. It'll be
0: a KubeCon, so make sure you check it out if you're attending that event. But one of my favorite parts of that cube by far is the Lesson Learn package. Uh, Parker breaks Singleton for a few cards, including cards like Professor of Symbology, which is the white two drop 2 1 that learns, which I think is one of the most powerful and clean learn cards. And I just, it, it reminded me how much I really like Lesson and Learn for Limited. It's the kind of mechanic that. To my knowledge, I don't think any of the lesson learned cards were pushed enough to see any play in Constructed. But it's the kind of thing that if it was good in Constructed, I probably wouldn't like it so much because it gets very repetitive. Right. But in Limited, I think it's very cool to basically have... I got my one Environmental Sciences, my one Introduction to Annihilation, my one Introduction to the Scry one. can't remember what that one is. Introduction to Prophecy and... Maybe you're lucky you get the one mascot exhibition and you get to, like, go get the one you need for the right moment and just give you a little bit of flexibility on these cards. It's also really cool they don't shuffle, so you get to actually pull things from outside the game instead of having to shuffle your library. It's just, I think it's a really neat mechanic for, for Limited, which is also how I feel about the companions. I mean, companions is a mechanic that I think was a huge mistake for Constructed. I don't love them, what they've done to the game. I think it was, like, this kind of, frankly, misguided attempt to identify what people like about commander and try and bring it to 60 card constructed that didn't really fully grasp what people like about commander and so now people are just you know it's still in modern like there's tons of decks that just have a giganta in the sideboard because they can just have a free companion giganta because their whole deck doesn't want any double pips and so it's like well better than my 15 sideboard slot is beginning to draw a five five if i want late in the game which, to me, is a bummer. Like, I don't know. that That's not really the spirit of what the mechanic should be, I think, where it's like, I get to free roll right, this, yeah. so I just get to have it, which that's a mechanic I also think is really cool and limited, but don't love in Constructed Magic. And it got me thinking about these outside-the-game-matters cards. I actually started a very rough beginnings of a cube a while ago with a similar idea, which was built around the Wish cards. This is actually, I think, the original cards that referenced cards outside the game if I'm correct like
1: yeah so you don't mean cards that are introducing outside the game components in terms of like dungeons and the one ring effect things like that you just mean things that literally pull other magic cards from outside of the game into into the game.
0: Right, which for limited purposes means your sideboard. I do really like that in the official rules it says if you're playing casually, this yeah. can be any card in your collection. I think that's Why so not? cool.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> I,
0: I think it's just cool they bother to clarify that. They're like, yeah, you're playing casually. Go dig out a box. Go get your whatever. I
1: mean, if anything, that feels like the original intention. The original oh, for sure. of spirit of the rules was like, yeah, get something from outside the game. Like you're you only own 400 magic cards in total because you're a rational person that started playing this this card game. Go grab any one of those other 300 and some cards. And it just kind of got weird that we all turned out to be crazy people and we have collections of tens of thousands of cards. And so they kind of had to reel it in and make it make sense for tournament play where people weren't showing up with trunks full of cards.
0: I could be wrong about this. I think the first wishes ever, the first kind of introduction to this mechanic was the wish cycle in Judgment. There was one in each color. And that was well into competitive magic era. I'm sure these cards were designed with the understanding they'd be played competitively in mind. I don't think they were blindsided by the fact that they have to like pull cards out of their sideboard. But it is definitely, it does seem to me like a casual
1: first design. and Yeah, that's a better way to put it. Yeah. The the first reference to the Wish mechanic, if I search on Scribefall using their Wish tag, uh, is actually Ring of Maruf from Arabian Nights. So the first expansion, instead of drawing a card from the top of your library, select one card from outside the game. So... That was something that they were thinking about, at least. uh, That's just one of those hideously overcosted artifacts that no one ever played. Yeah, yeah. I I skipped over the fact that it costs five to cast and then five to activate, and it's a mono artifact, which we all know what that means. Would you like to pay ten mana and a
0: card to draw a sideboard card instead of a card for turn? A little bit. Not really. Seems pretty bad. So yeah, I guess that spirit goes back further, but the first playable ones, to my knowledge, were at least a couple from that cycle in Judgment. And I was thinking about this kind of concept a while ago, and started this very early beginnings of a cube design that was based around breaking singletons for the wishes. I called it three wishes, right? Which I think is cute because you draft a wish, you get three more is the idea. So you get to have four copies of any of these wishes in your deck. And I've also tried to design a similar cube with lesson and learn and had a similar sort of early stage of design. None of these have really fallen into place perfectly, but I wanted to talk from a design perspective about what these kind of cards represent and how they function with regards to the rest of the game. What's your take on companion, lesson Learn, wishes, cards that basically either matter from your sideboard or make your sideboard matter in the middle of a
1: game? So I haven't played a ton with these cards. I think that companion is an easy one to tackle because I totally agree with you that in limited, they are just sort of like the most extreme example of a build around. It's, it's you know... Do you want this really powerful effect of having this additional card? And it's, in most cases, a very powerful card. Then you really have to stretch yourself and there are no, you know, outs to it. It's not like, "Eh, I'm going to put this opposition in my deck and it's a build around, but I'm just not going to optimize it fully. Like, you have to commit, which I think is cool to have that variety of texture where there are some kinds of build arounds that you kind of have to understand the rules interactions and make it work. And then some of them are just really literal and in your face. And especially when you're opening them in a draft, you maybe get them pack two. There's this interesting balance decision of, is this worth trying to companion, things like that. So Should I abandon a couple picks that don't fit this restriction exactly, yeah. in exchange for this powerful eighth card? So I think the companions are cool for limited and definitely cool for cube. I think that my biggest knock on the companions is just that the design space is so limited that we have these couple that exist and i even even if the mechanic was a smash hit in every other sense there aren't that many other things that you can restrict within a deck that are provable if that makes sense without having to like ask a judge to be like can you confirm that there are no whatever creature type or i mean i guess they did that even but there just isn't a lot of design space there so i think that that could get a little bit stale eventually
0: i don't need more than the 10 companions we have right now i think that's an okay number (laughs) i mean the 10 that we do have i think For pound for pound, a lot of them are really interesting. Mm -hmm. The two I've been trying to fit in a cube for a long time are Garuda and Obosh, which are the all-your-cards-are-even or all-your-cards-are-odd ones. I think they're both just really cool payoffs for their respective decks. I think a Garuda deck can be really sick, and Obosh is a really cool top end for some kind of aggro deck that makes a bunch of cards matter differently, right? Yeah. So both those cards are the ones I've been trying to fit into a cube for a while, and both of them are in my Three Wishes list and also my Lesson Learned list because I think... I think putting one or two companions in a, in a cube that otherwise doesn't have anything it cares about the sideboard is definitely adding a decent amount of complexity. But I do think if the cube already is acknowledging the fact that like the cards you sit down with at the beginning of the game in your deck are not the only cards you're going to have access to, sure, it yeah. seems to fit thematically with me with Lesson and Learn and with Burning Wish or whatever to have access to companions. So it feels like it's kind of in the same spirit. Yeah. Also, in the Wish Cube, I'm considering running Lutri because... The whole point of the cube is that you get to break singleton on wishes and build your whole deck around, like, wish packages, but Lutri doesn't let you do that, and so it's kind of like, if you want to be one of the wish decks, you can be one of the wish decks, or you can be the Lutri deck, where normally in most singleton cubes, Lutri is just oh, a free sure, roll. Oh, sure, sure,
1: Yeah, because Lutri says you can't have any two of the same non-land card, so... I just forget that rules text exists, but there's actually a lot of interesting design space from a cube design perspective of, do you actually want to make that drawback meaningful by including a lot of duplicates in a cube?
0: Yeah, exactly, and here, like... The goal of this cube, if, if it is ever to come to fruition, and right now it's a cube with uh, 100 cards in the main deck and a couple hundred cards in the sideboard and like nowhere near even a draftable list. Not even It's, it's kind
1: of funny how heavily you're using the maybe board on Cube
0: Cobra to design this this cube about sideboards. I That is true. I use that a lot in my design when I'm working on a cube list. Like, yeah. Because often in my head there's like, all right, I know I want these cards to be in here. This is like the reason for the cube to exist. And then there's like... Me following those connections down, you know, one, two, or three degrees of separation. So, like, yeah, when I get all the way to like Force of Will, because I'm like, well, if I have Cunning Wish, that can be a three mana counterspell if I can go get Force of Will, because Force of Will is free as long as I have another blue spell. Like, at that point, it's like, all right, that goes in the maybe this will get in here eventually, but this is not so connected to the main theme that I'm going to throw it in there immediately. So, I use that sure. a lot when I'm doing, when I'm designing a cube like this. Anyway, if this cube is ever to succeed, My main goal for it would be that the wishes would be really good. Like, you would highly pick any of the wishes because it would give you four cards for your main deck in total. I think that's just really powerful in general. Like, people that do draft packages of, like, Squadron Hawk or whatever, I think it's really easy to underrate how good it is to. You just now get to take three extra sideboard cards. Right. To get four really good cards for your main deck in one pick, I think that's, uh, that's really powerful. So, yeah, if the, if the cube is able to make those wishes good, I want it to be a real tension of like, well, okay, do I take Lutri, knowing that I'm going to have to turn down burning wish if I open it next pack or something? It's kind of interesting to me.
1: Yeah, the next mechanic you mentioned is lesson learn, which when you cast a spell that has learned, you get to go grab one of these lesson cards from your sideboard. So it's like the same mechanic as wishes, but restricted to a subset of spells. I think this is pretty cool that it does have that built-in restriction. Obviously, it has a lot of hand-smoothing effects that so you can get the cards that you need at the times that you need. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is a cool execution. And the fact that I, I think these actually can work in pretty low volumes in a cube, because if you have a couple copies, like you mentioned, of Professor of Symbology, which also you can fall back to doing a, a rummage, right?
0: Yeah, that's important. People forget, I think, because we're pretty distanced from Strixhaven now, that if you don't want to learn or you have no lesson in your sideboard, you can always just discard a card and draw a card, which... Right if you reword a lot of the learn cards to just have that effect, some of them are perfectly fine, even if that's all they ever did. And given that they have the upside of potentially drawing exactly what you want at the right moment, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. So if you have a couple things that have lesson learned in your main deck and then, you know, even just two to four lesson cards in your sideboard that makes a pretty reasonable little package and it, it really can go up from there and scale into pretty flexible strategies so I think that mechanic also works pretty well for limited it's also cool that you have a bunch of cards then that just count for multiple different spell casts which is part of the original intention of that design was to to get more instants and sorceries cast in the set that cared about instants and sorceries so that's something I don't see people talking about much but it's definitely something that adds to that aspect of, a, of an environment yeah, The outside-the-game cards that I actually have played with the most that I really enjoy are Booster Tutor and Summon the Pack. These are two silver-boarded cards, but they both fetch a sealed booster pack. One of them lets you tutor just a single card out of it. The other one lets you put all creatures from the pack into play. I think these are a lot of fun. They're not necessarily the same like strategic depth, but... It's just sort of like a cool variance, and when I've played them in cubes, we end up just taking some of the extra cube cards that weren't drafted and treating, you know, 15 of those cards as a pack, so I think... Which that makes them kind of broken. They're kind of broken, but... Well, at least uh,
0: some in the pack, it's like nine mana or whatever. It's like, okay, you deserve eight, to eight win. mana. You yeah. deserve to win. You spend eight mana on a spell, and it resolves. Turns
1: out, at least in early versions of my main cube, eight mana to win the game was, was not good, but... I mean, not acceptable. That was too easy to just free roll games, but...
0: It's also, I think, the kind of thing it maybe is fun the first couple of times, and then you're like and then it's still fun the next couple times well, as long as it's you that's doing it and not your well, opponent. Well, no, here's my thing. We've said this before about really expensive cards is that Ultimately it doesn't matter what some in the pack gets because you're just the game's over. So yeah. it, it's like you want to think about like, oh, all these cool things are gonna happen when all these off color cards it makes them into zombies and, and
1: there's a zombie theme in the cube. You wanna so think about so all of that, but what actually <laughs> happens is
0: you cast some in the pack and your opponent concedes. It might as well say deal Correct. twenty damage to your opponent. Yeah. Like the fact that it does this other mechanical thing is kind of Let's odd. do twenty five just to be safe. Sure, why not? Yeah. So I've run into some challenges with both of these cube designs. None of them have really harmonized together. I want to talk through some of those challenges and also just what these kind of outside the game cards mean. So I think the first question to answer is what functionally is the distinction between having a card like Burning Wish or Cunning Wish and a card like Mystical Tutor or like Demonic Tutor, right? Like if it's a card that just replaces itself with another card, what is the value add by that card coming from outside the game instead of just already in your deck? Because one of the big costs of making these wish cards playable is you have to take cards that you would otherwise want to play and not put them in your deck right you need something right. in your sideboard to go get with them which i think is a is a steep criticism of how those cards actually function but i think that what makes that cool is that it also gives you the flip side of allowing you to go get a card that is sometimes very unplayable that you would often right. not want to draw you don't really want to have in your main deck but you can actually go get it with your wish because obviously that card doesn't take up a main deck slot So my goal would be with these wishes to have like a couple different kind of wish decks come together. One would be like a much more consistent combo deck, right? So for example, one of the cards I included immediately in the wish package cube was Jeskai Ascendancy. It's a card that I love. Uh, It's a card that pays you off for drafting a certain type of deck. But it's also a card that if you have one of in your deck, oftentimes you're not really a Jeskai Ascendancy deck, right? If you have one of in a singleton 40 card deck, because you're only going to draw it in like a third of your games or whatever. Your deck has to function completely independent of Jeskai Ascendancy, but... One of the better wish cards is Glittering Wish. It's a green and a white to go get any multicolored card from outside the game, put it into your hand. That can both go get Jeskai Ascendancy and then also trigger Jeskai Ascendancy on future turns when you draw future copies. It can also go get Life Death, which is a really cool combo with Jeskai Ascendancy. So that was one of the first cards I put in. That's definitely one of the first kind of decks I want to exist. Like you can do a more dedicated build around combo deck because you have you can basically guarantee that in most games you're going to have access to your Jeskai Ascendancy even though it's going to take you an extra two mana to get there.
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I will say in that specific context, the wishes aren't doing something that's necessarily different from a regular tutor where you could still have them in your main deck as well. But I think that'll be answered by the next thing you're probably gonna say.
0: Well, right. So I think another kind of variation on this style of deck would be a deck with a couple of combos in it where one half of all of the combos is gettable with a type of wish. So for the example I have here, Cunning Wish is the blue one that goes and gets an instant at instant speed for two and a blue. And one of the first combos I wanted to include with this was Frexian Dreadnought and Stifle, right? Stifle's not generally a card you want to main deck in Singleton Cubes, but if you have Frexian Dreadnought in your deck, Cunning Wish can most of the time just go get some other instant, right? Go get a counterspell, go get some card draw spell, go get whatever like generic thing you need. But when you draw that Frexian Dreadnought... Now, Cunning Wish is a copy of Stifle. You can go get the Stifle, then you have the other half of the copy. So that's the kind of deck where it's like, you're not getting the same thing every time in the sense that with the Glittering Wish deck, you're always getting Jeskai Ascendancy to go do your Jeskai Ascendancy thing. This is like, now you get to put a card that is really narrow in your deck mm-hmm. that otherwise you would be hard-pressed to play in Singleton and have it be correct without having a bunch of other weird support cards that also work with Phyrexian Dreadnought because you also just happen to have four copies of Cunning Wish, and that can always just be a Stifle if you draw your Frexian Dreadnought.
1: Yeah, I mean in this really feels similar to sort of why lesson learned was really powerful, which is that there are a lot of cards that you just don't necessarily want to draw at all points in the game. You don't want to draw your two mana search for basic land all the time. You don't want to draw your seven mana, do a bunch of cool stuff early in the game. Yeah, So that was really the, the power was like, getting these situational even though like when we talk about situational often we think about like destroying an artifact that just doesn't do anything at certain points in the game but just like the mana cost and mana whether cost it's huge. like doing fixing or doing something that's actually proactive like those are also situational cards so that flexibility was really powerful and i think it's similar to what you're describing with these wish cards that are getting halves of combos and things like that
0: yeah so i think if One half of the combo can be gotten by a wish, then you can pretty safely main deck the other half of that combo, knowing that you can get the half if you need to, which is a different kind of variation on it. You kind of got to my next example, which is just expensive cards, right? Mm -hmm. So a card I really love but haven't been able to fit in a cube of my own is Season's Past. It's a six-mana sorcery that you really only want to cast late in the game after you've exhausted all of your spells, and then you get a bunch of removal spells back, maybe a couple threats, and you like refill your entire hand. But that's a dead draw in the early game, right? You're just kind of like loathe to draw it early. But if I've got four copies of Burning Wish and one of them at any point can be a Season's Past, then I'm happy to go in the early game with Take My Burning Wish, go get whatever sideboard removal spell I included or whatever, and then when I need to, go get a Season's Past. Even a card like Cruel Ultimatum. Like, I'm really excited to play Cruel Ultimatum in this cube because that's a card that I probably wouldn't main deck in any cube deck in most cubes because it's so hard to cast. Seven mana and really high color commitment. But that's a card I'd be so happy to have in my Burning Wish board because in the games where the game gets stalled out and you just need something to do, you can turn your Burning Wish into this like huge bomb of a sorcery, which I think is really cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, that sounds similar to me as well. I don't know if you've considered Vivian Arcbow Ranger, which has one of the abilities to go choose a creature card from outside the game and put it into your hand. And this is another situation where you don't necessarily want to put a bunch of like seven mana creatures in your deck, but it's reasonable to, while you're drafting, draft one or two more big threats than you want, just so you can have some of your sideboard. So if this comes up, uh, you're basically adding another ability to draw a relevant late late game spell from this card.
0: Yeah, I had Vivian in my Bun Magic Cube for a long time, and that was a surprisingly relevant mode. Yeah. That was back when the curve was a little higher, but still pretty low. And so back then, you didn't really want to put an expensive card in your deck because it'd be a liability to have a dead card in your hand when you're in the early portion of the game, you're trading resources aggressively. But again, the game gets thought out. You can go get your Primeval Titan or whatever. You're very happy to have a big threat in the sideboard to go grab. That one is not currently in the list for reasons I'll get to in a minute, but that is definitely something I considered. And then the last kind of wish deck I want to be able to make happen here is like a classic toolbox deck, you know, a reactive deck either a like full control deck or like a hate bear style deck that has a bunch of narrow answers in the sideboard that it can go get whichever one it needs for the moment in the game that it's at so like you know i think people are used to running more generically playable but sideboardy kind of cards like cards that are good all the time but really good in certain matchups right i'm thinking of cards like scavenging use right that card is good no matter what like it's a two mana two, which is a fine rate and it just grows as the game goes and gains you life which is always good but if your opponent's playing reanimator it's great increa- it's amazing right it's right. the best card in your deck so i think in a lot of queues we see cards like that that are like good to great and what i want to do is try and support cards that are like unplayable to great right so
1: something like tormod's crypt which again is still great in the great situation exiling your opponent's entire graveyard but if your opponent doesn't care about their graveyard does it says magic card on it right i guess it says artifact <laughs> which could matter
0: but, like, you know, there's a, it's a card called Tejuru Preserver, which I don't think a lot of people know. It's a 1 and a green for a 2-1 that just says your opponent can't make you sacrifice stuff. So any of their cards that say sacrifice things don't work anymore. And that's the kind of card that I don't see in cubes because you need a pretty heavy sacrifice theme before you're excited to run this card. And this is the kind of card I think can maybe work here because you just will never main deck your Tejuru Preserver. You'll go and get it with your Living Wish when you have an opponent that you know is playing a card that you can answer with Preserver. Or, you know, even more narrow stuff like Xanted Swarm, which is like the anti-counterspell 0-1 flyer for a green, which is really odd. There's obviously a bunch of narrow white cards that fit this description. So that's the last kind of deck I want to be able to support with these wish cards that I think could maybe come together. is this kind of reactive toolbox-style deck. And all the kind of decks I just described, I think, are somewhat unique to a cube like this. And obviously, they're not working yet, right? The cube's not done. I'm not saying I've succeeded in this goal, but the goal I'm at least shooting for is something that I don't really think you can make work in a regular cube deck. Like, the closest you can get, I think, is having a card like Green Sun Zenith in a deck in, like, the Bun Magic cube. I think you should take sideboardy or narrower answers a little more highly. I'm really, really excited to take a Skyvenging Ooze after I have a Green Sun Zenith, whereas before, that's, you know, a maybe mid-pack pick a scavenging Ooze. Similarly, I'm really excited to take that Kasali Pride Mage once I have the Green Sun Zenith, because now it makes that Green Sun Zenith so much better. But here, your entire deck will be built around that idea of basically like playing these wishes to go get the answer you need at the right time.
1: Does all that make sense in terms of goals? All that makes sense. I guess my biggest question is just do all of these things fit and hang together as one sort of perfect compact puzzle? No. Or do you need a bunch of other context to make that work?
0: Well, so here's the problem I ran into with this cube. The problem I ran into with this Wish Cube is I think... I love the idea. I think on paper it can work. I think it has to be lower power level, right? Because making your best cards cost two or three mana more means that you can't just have somebody else have a deck that's not trying to do any of the things I just described but just can just run you over with generic cards. So I think the overall power level has to be quite a bit lower and it has to be more synergistic and less like good cards, which I'm totally down with. The big problem I ran into is that the Wishes that have been printed are all... Over the place in terms of
1: power level, that's a great Just point. I mean, I'm looking all over at, like, the place. Glittering wish adds two mana to your cool gold spell, but then we've got golden wish, which is five mana for an artifact or enchantment. Like that is golden a wish huge is awful, <laughs> difference I mean, not to mention everyone's favorite ring of maruf
0: <laughs> Yeah, golden wish is the white one of the wish cycle, and you know, I think it makes sense that it's costed this way because if you look at artifacts and enchantments, they tend to be the most potent answers to your opponent's deck like they tend to be the least interactive kind of permanence and so you can drop a humility or a moat or whatever and your opponent's just locked out of the game and there's also a lot of artifacts and enchantments that are designed to change the game in a way that can make a deck non-functional so i think it makes sense that golden wish was printed at five mana for constructive purposes but sure. for my purposes it's wholly unplayable like i to design a cube where golden wish was playable alongside burning wish or living wish which i think are two of the much better ones Burning Wish being one in red to go get any sorcery from outside the game. Living Wish, I think, is the one I'm most excited to play with in Limited. It's one in a green to get any creature or land from outside the game and put it into your hand.
1: Ah, uh, this is why you were asking about basic lands and sideboards. I was.
0: I was asking about whether or not you had to register basic lands in a sideboard. So, I mean, it turns out you don't. Uh, you just ha- always have access to basic lands from your sideboard in a limited event, obviously, like, you know, sealed or something. If you're playing Constructed, you do have to use a sideboard slot on it. But Yeah, I mean, actually, Living Wish seems pretty good right, to be honest it's right. like it's we always should, we we just talked about how
1: like environmental sciences is relevant in a lot of things is so it's this like, environmental sciences this is plus plus already environmental sciences or even better is the other half of your wish in that uh, or the other half of your lesson where sometimes you can get the seven drop creature when you're drawing it and but
0: also how many times have you wanted to splash something in a deck but been like ah but i really don't want to play the one basic land i need to splash it you don't have to with living wish you just go get it from outside yeah. the game I think Living Wish is really exciting.
1: Is is the result of this just going to be that you're going to put Living Wish into your main cube?
0: I kind of doubt it. I don't think it's going to get there. I mean, it's adding two mana tax to any spell in that cube. But also, look look
1: at at this guy with this big horn.
0: I I did look up how (laughs) expensive foils of these cards were, because I was like, well, if I built this cube, I would have to obviously get the wishes and all foil and keep everything else non-foil, and foil Living Wishes from Judgment are like $100. Yeah. That's a a made-up price. Really goofy art. But... I'm really excited to play with, like, those two cards in Limited, right? I think two mana is a great rate for that kind of effect. The limitation on each of them is good. But, like, just the idea of having a deck that has both halves of the Dark Depths combo in the sideboard, and you can just, if you want, Living Wish or both halves
1: of it. I mean, or like you say, you just, like, run run of Stage, and then if you happen to draw Living Wish and you don't have Thespian Stage, you go get something else that's relevant. if you do... Well, now you can go get that other land.
0: One of the first things I put in there was Punishing Fire and Grove of the Burn Willows. Oh, my. Which means you can either, if you have Living Wish, run Punishing Fire in the main deck. And if you draw it, go get Grove. Or if you have like a blue-red deck, you could put Grove in the deck. And then if you draw Grove, you can use a Cunning Wish to go get Punishing Fire Like, I think that's a really cool way you can make this work.
1: I have a concern, which I'm wondering if, like, even the best version of this is one of those kinds of cubes where the draft is really fun, the deck building is really fun, and then the gameplay turns out to be Punishing Grove versus Karn the Great Creator lock you out, and maybe not the best game. Well, we haven't even
0: gotten to Karn. We haven't (laughs) even gotten. (laughs) There's a big problem with Karn, which is that Karn is by far the best of all these wishes, but it's also the only way you can go get artifacts aside from using like mastermind's acquisition or fae of wishes which is four mana to go get any card in both cases. Okay,
1: so we're we're just ignoring golden wish altogether. It's unplayable. <laughs> it's
0: so bad. Like I don't think you, I don't think I could ever make it playable in this cube. But if I want to be able to go get artifacts then it's either karn or one of these other four mana effects that can also get anything else. And I think karn would just be it's a really interesting question, right? Because if all these other decks have access to this kind of removal, it's like, do I just put the Elder Spell in there, right? Which is that black, black sorcery from Morvis Bark, which just destroys any number of Planeswalkers. It actually wouldn't even be that good because if Karn's the only Planeswalker, there can only be one in play at a time.
1: I mean, it's just black, black, destroy target Planeswalker, which is fine.
0: But it also puts counters on your own Planeswalkers if you have, if you them, you yeah. have them, which I don't think of this cube you would because the Planeswalker would have to meet the goals of the rest of the cube. So I mean, if you look at Karn and Golden Wish, and you're trying to make like everything in between that spectrum work, I think it's really difficult. A couple other cards people might not be aware of. There is a saga from Kaldheim called The Raven's Warning. It's one white blue for a saga that on the first chapter you make a 1-1 blue bird token. and in the second chapter you draw a card if you can hit him with a flyer. and the third chapter you put a card you own from outside the game on top of your library. I should save a second chapter also as you look at their hand so you can maybe go get an answer for that kind of thing. That's a really cool card, I think, to have four of in your starting deck. And just the idea of, like, building a kind of tempo flyers deck around those cards and the fact that you can go get whatever you want out of the sideboard is really cool. And it made me immediately put, like, Meddling Mage in the cube, for example, because Mm -hmm. you look at your opponent's hand, Meddling Mage is just cool with wishes in general because you have to reveal what you're getting from the sideboard. So they cast Burning Wish for Cruel Ultimatum. You just untap and cast Meddling Mage. So anyway, there's cool cards in this space, but the thing that is really preventing this, I think, from being easier to build or coming together more naturally is the wild variance in the power level of the Wish cards, which is making it a big challenge. I'm going to still chip away at it, I think, and keep like working on it, but right now it's 84 cards that I'm quite confident I want to run, and then like a bunch in the sideboard that I'm trying to, to work through, and I need to find a lot more stuff to make this whole thing come together. But that's the challenge there, is the balance of those cards.
1: Yeah. So I wonder... I feel like often when we talk about these kinds of novelty cubes, it's very easy to want to go all the way and just be like, this this cube is all about this. Every single card relates to this theme in that some way. That is definitely my approach. And that, there's a lot of reasons why that makes sense and feels natural. I'm not sure if it's the way to create the actual best gameplay. I thought it was really interesting, and I think we've talked about this before, but Mark Rosewater was talking about designing sets. And his sort of benchmark for talking about how much of the thing that a set is about is about 20%. So, you know, you've got all your magic cards that do basic stuff. You got your removal spells, your. Re- replaceable creatures your fight spells in green whatever and you only need to make 20 percent of those cards be about the theme of the set before it really mechanically starts to feel like it and that makes a lot of sense because when you're trying to make something that stands out you need a background for it to stand out against and if if it's all just this one brand new novel thing everything's kind of just going to be fighting against itself and it isn't going to be clear how that novel thing relates to everything else so i wonder if you could take a different approach of just like Build a reasonable cube, maybe sort of take this as a nucleation point and think, well, if you're casting a bunch of wishes, maybe also include some Spells Matter themes and things like that. And I'm sure there are other sort of bridges you can find to other other mechanics that have some sort of relevance and connection to it. And then just put like four copies of Living Wish, four copies of Burning Wish, and four copies of Glittering Wish, and still kind of make that package work while still only making, you know, 20 to 30% of the cube really all about that thing.
0: Yeah, I- To be clear, I definitely agree, right?
1: (laughs) But you can't do that. No, no, no. no.
0: I'm saying I agree that the vast majority of the cards in the cube are not going to be, like, about the wish thing, right? And even of the 84 I've selected, right, I included consider, opt, ponder, preordain, like, very basic cantrips because I want Jeskai Sentency to be a deck. And, like, here's generic cards that, like, are just part of that 80% of the rest of the Magic game that also have a little bit of an edge here, right? Another small example is, again, because of the Jeskai Ascendancy deck, I included some Mana Dorks, but only Mana Dorks that can tap for blue or have some synergy with Jeskai Ascendancy like Bloom Tender, which is a two-mana Mana Dork that taps for a color for each color of permanent you control with when you have Jeskai Ascendancy in play, it taps for four and then you can untap it every time you cast a spell. So I basically was like, all right, there's gonna be some generic cards in here, cantrips and Mana Dorks or whatever, but let's make sure they're the cantrips and the Mana Dorks that are synergistic with what's going on similarly because i also wanted this to be a place where obosh could shine i kind of have a short list of cards that are just like cards that are cool i want to like fit into decks right like one of them that i think is a really cool build around that i don't think you can always justify playing is pestilence spirit this is a three mana three two that has medicine death touch but importantly it gives all your instants and sorceries death touch but it's a black creature so in a regular cube it could, if you combine it with any kind of burn spell, be a really cool way to turn your burn spells into kill spells, right? No matter how big they
1: are. But and Especially if you have, like, divided burn spells. It gets really powerful. Well, so, between Obosh... I really powerful. This is a card that stands out as being very cool when I saw it first, and I've never cast it or seen it cast. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think it's...
0: I think if you were to put it in a cube, it's basically, first of all, a, a black, red, gold card, right? Yep. And then it's a black, red, gold card that just requires you to like also draw the part of your deck that it works with. And I think it's kind of just narrow for a black three drop. And to be clear, here, this is one of the cards that I don't know if it's going to work, right? Because it's in black. It wants to be paired with cards that are red. And the wishes that can get it are green, and or you could pay four mana with for a mastermind's acquisition or whatever and go get it, but you can't get it with burning wish and there is no cheaper black wish to go
1: get it. So. I mean, and talking about just sort of like the power level and rate of cards, this is also just a three mana three two with menace and death touch. So it's like it's always going to be a two for one. Right. I think you're just going to be taking this card and not really building around it and just attacking your opponent with it.
0: That would be interesting. I don't think that would actually happen, even if it'd be correct. To I think most people would not put this card in not, a deck that didn't have burn test. spells. I, I, th- I think people would ignore the vanilla test on this one, probably. But between between that and Obosh, which doubles all damage from odd mana value spells, I also put, like, Tamanoa in here, which I think is a cool spell that gives all of your instants and sorceries lifelink. Like, I also immediately put just, like, Lava Dart, Flame Jab, Forked Bolt, Arc Lightning, like, cards that fit with all of those in the cube, right? I didn't put Arc Trail, because Arc Trail doesn't work with Obosh, and I don't want there to be too many of these effects in there, because then it's just, like, good luck being an X1 in this cube. You're never going to be even remotely playable. But that was kind of like the next little nucleation point of like, all right, I want to be able to have these narrow build arounds. What's a cool narrow build around? I like pestilence spirit. What does that work with all these other things? And then you look at like a lava dart or a flame jab. I do have life from loam in this list as well. Life from them, I think is a really cool sorcery to build your whole deck around, but you're not going to draw it all the time. So making sure you have burning wish to go get your life from loam. Anyway, I think people get the idea of what I'm going for here. I agree that 80% of the cube is going to have to be like generic cards, but I think Selecting those generic cards to make the wishes the thing that shine is the hard part. Yeah, It's not that I have to find a hundred more cards that are like wish cards, right? It's that I got to find a hundred cards that will create an environment where you are going to be excited to take Burning Wish and put for all of it in your deck and not feel like you're just going to be falling behind by casting two mana draw cards the entire game, you know?
1: Yeah, and it is difficult because you can't even... I don't really think just say like, yeah, let's put in the most generic stuff and like you got your grizzly bears, you got your shocks and, you know, just like fill out the curve with reasonable rate creatures and removal spells and stuff like that. Because I think that's just not going to let those things shine if you take a very normal approach because there is this weird constraint of they like require things to be specific to allow narrow opportunities to happen so that you want to fetch those narrow spells or just be powerful enough on their own that it's worth paying that extra tax and adding those extra sort of deck building restrictions.
0: Yeah. So there's no playable white wish at all. So right now this cube has no white cards in it even a little bit. So figuring out what white's identity is other than just pairing like white kind of hate bears and reactive cards with living wish, which I think is definitely gonna be one of the decks not sure what White's going to do. But really what's what's what I'm struggling with here is just the disparity in power level between the different Wish cards. I have also fleshed out this learn, lesson and Learn Cube a bit more. And here I ran into a kind of a similar problem, except it's not the power level, right? These were all from the same set. They were all designed with Limited in mind. I think they're all within a reasonable power level, right? All the cards that say Learn on them. You know, obviously some of the rares are better than the commons, but they're all within the same realm of playability. There's no, like, Golden Wish, Karn the Great Creator disparity here. Right. What there is, though, is just this is one of the only times I've seriously considered making some custom cards for a cube because don't I just, describe
1: them. <laughs>
0: I, I won't describe them, I swear, <laughs> because I just really don't like the design of a lot of the lessons and learn cards. And the fact that I just don't like them, it's like I'm not enthusiastic about building a cube around them because in order for this to be the kind of cube I wanted it to be, people all that lesson and learn, I would need to include a lot of them. And the one thing that is cool about this is that, When you take for granted, you're going to be including a given card, right? So in white, I think the two good learn cards are Professor of Symbology, which we talked about, and Guiding Voice, which is one mana sorcery that puts a plus and plus one counter on target creature and you learn. And so because those are the two cards, I think it's very natural for this cube to have some sort of heroic power matters, plus one, plus one counter matters thing because I want Guiding Voice to be a good card you want to put in your deck no matter what. And so making that card good is a cool little place to start and fight inspiration but then you look at like black, none of the black lesson and learn cards do anything for me. Like, they didn't just print a over murder with learn on it, right? It'd probably have to cost five mana to be balanced, but like, I'd be more excited about that. Or, like, give me a three mana disfigure with learn on it or something. Like, just there wasn't a, any cards in black that felt like they really fit with what I was going for. So, what I ran up against there was just like, okay, so the blue and the red kind of fell together pretty nicely. And I think the white would also work. The green and the black, it was like, ah, uh, these don't really. Aren't really doing it for me in terms of what I actually want the cube to be, and so there I just kind of hit this wall of like, all right, well, what do I do with these colors where I don't actually have any lesson and learn cards that I feel like I'm excited to play with?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you can look for again different mechanics that feel like they fit in some way, or just wait till we go back to Strixhaven.
0: I will say one of the cards I think was really cool, which I had never—I'm sure I had seen it, but I hadn't internalized it—is the the rare lesson in blue, which is called Teachings of the Archaics. It's two and a blue for a sorcery. It says, if an opponent has more cards in hand than you, draw two cards, draw three cards. Instead, if an opponent has at least four more cards in hand than you, so a pretty efficient draw spell, you know, like three mana for three cards is, but with this restriction of, like, you better not have any cards in hand, and the idea of building a deck that is designed to go get Teachings of the Archaics from your sideboard regularly, like in every game, and make it a good card draw spell, namely make you hellbent, Is really exciting to me. You know, looking at cards like Zombie Infestation, and there's these, uh, there's that cycle of blue zombie horrors like uh, Advanced Stitchwing and Stitchwing Scab and Scab Ruinator and uh, Girolf's Masterpiece, which are all these blue flying zombies you can cast from your graveyard. That deck, I can see in my head and see it coming together in a really cool way where you're like intentionally discarding your hand to make your Teaching of the Archaics good, but so many of your cards are good from the graveyard that it's not really a cost to discard your hand. Like, that's all very exciting to me. And I can feel the like inspiration pulling me in that direction. They look at green and I'm like, well, basic conjuration is okay. Uh, Three mana, look at the top six. kind of basic. Three mana, look at the top six, get a creature from among them and put it into your hand, gain three life. Uh, what what do you build like? That's not a fun build around, right? Like teaching of the Archaics, It's like I want to make a deck where this is good. Basic conjuration. It's basic. It's basic. It's like all right. I guess I put a deck with creatures in it. And
1: I mean, yeah. And and not every card in every possible deck in every cube that even you design is maybe for you. Like maybe some people are excited about just getting some creatures. Well, it's just it doesn't feel like
0: it's any different than. Sure. Like it's like it could be any other green cantrip in any other cube, right? The fact that it's a lesson doesn't seem to really matter here. There's still more I want to explore with this. Like, for example, I think some of the token generating lessons are good. Like I'm into the Boros hybrid one that makes a 3-2 and the Orzov one that makes a 2-1 flyer and kind of the five mana one that makes a 4-4 in it The ones in Golgari and uh, Simic aren't really doing it for me. But the idea of also making, like, a Spirit Matters deck with Illuminate History, which is the red rare lesson, which also makes the 3-2 Spirit token and the Spirit Summonings. Like, you can definitely make a Spirit Creature Type Matters theme work with just a couple of these cards that go and get cards out of your sideboard and a couple things that are Spirit Lords or whatever because they happen to have the same type line. So there's still a lot more to be explored here, but definitely also ran up against a similar wall of, like, okay, some of these cards in this cycle are things that I think fit and some of these cards just don't fit, right? Like I think the black rare lesson also does some weird destruction of planeswalker thing that just very narrow and like not going to be the kind of thing I want to put in every single cube. So all this is to say, I'm excited about how these cards can allow you to draft a very different type of deck than you can draft. If you don't have access to these sorts of cards, be they wishes, be they companions, be they lesson learn. but I have not been able to successfully design something that I'm like ready to play test with them just yet. I'm most excited to work on this wishes list. I think there's bigger challenges to overcome there, but also more potential. I think with lesson and learn, because you need both halves to be printed, right? Like, there are only so many lessons, and unless I start customizing cards, that's all you can get from them. The thing about the wishes is that you can get anything that fits their restriction, right? Any sorcery can be a burning wish target, and so plumbing the depths of Magic's history to find all of the cool sorceries that are maybe a little too narrow or a little too expensive in terms of mana or a little too conditional to really make sense in other cube environments, but you'd be excited to put in a Burning Wish package here. That's exciting to me. Looking at all of the lessons and learns, it's like, well, there's kind of only so much raw material to work with. How, how deep can this actually go? So I'm going to keep working on this. If anyone listening has any thoughts, email us, hit us up in the comments. Let us know what you think because I
1: do want this to be a thing I can maybe
0: pull off, but so far it's given me some trouble
1: it seems like a challenge and i feel like it is it's a challenge for so many reasons that we've already gone over another big challenge is just that this isn't space that there's a lot of precedent for like wizards has not made a set where aside from lesson and learn wishes are like a big mechanical theme so that both means there's fewer cards but there's also like less expectation from players about how it's going to work and just less prior art for you to pull from and how to see a working example
0: but that's also why it's fun
1: uh yes absolutely yeah
0: let's do a pack one pick one for a listener submitted cube anthony it's been a minute since we've done it and you rolled the dice here you cast the randomizer to see who whose pack we're gonna do and it happens to be the pack of oh god i forgot how to pronounce it you can't it. mess it up now deinonychus
1: <laughs> wait like yeah deinonychus deinonychus everyone's favorite chicken sized and chicken looking dinosaur oh wait no sorry these are the bigger ones. Yeah. The Velociraptors yeah, 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 are the yeah. ones that are actually basically just chickens. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Frequent commenter in the MTG cube Discord, friend of the show, Dinonicus, which is the Bodalian Cube, and by his own words, this is a cube that attempts to maximize interactive and synergistic gameplay, rewards high synergy decks, but has cards which are powerful enough on their own that the synergy decks do not fall apart in the face of interaction. We got a pack here, Anthony. Any thoughts before we dive in? No thoughts. Head empty. Open pack. All right. The pack is Zeatora's Proving Gound, a.k.a. Jund Triome, Bloodbraid Elf, Swords to Plowshares, Titania, Protector of Argoth, Treasure Cruise, Flesh Gorger, Usher of the Fallen, Ephemerate, Hydroid Crasis, Wasteland, Vendillion Click, Mishra's Bauble, Shark Typhoon, Saheeli Sublime Artificer, and Fact or Fiction. I'd say a lot of generically powerful cards in this pack, at least.
1: That is my read as well. I feel like I'm being like some cold. of these
0: are build arounds in the sense that it's like you got to put other magic cards in your deck. Uh huh.
1: I mean, I'm gonna call Shark Typhoon a build around because I plan on casting. You that, always first cast first Shark Typhoon.
0: <laughs> you always be casting Shark Typhoon. It's fun. What are you taking out of this pack, Anthony?
1: I am looking at Shark Typhoon. That is just a very powerful and flexible card treasure cruise is here that's obviously an extremely powerful card that's very hard to pass up wasteland stands out swords to plowshares stands out there's just so much that we could do here or even like starting on titania is very cool i i think i'm just taking treasure cruise i think the
0: three most powerful cards are swords to plowshares treasure cruise and wasteland yeah and wasteland is non-committal to me I mean, I just want to be a deck with cards in order to make Wasteland good. Wasteland is a card that I am going to have a lot of deep thoughts about between now and the date when the CubeCon cubeless are locked because it's been in my cube for a long time simply because I like the card personally. I have a cool promo with a T.S. Eliot quote on it that I want to play somewhere. I do not think Wasteland aligns with the majority of my cube design goals because it is kind of broken. You can't interact with it, and it can just lead to total non-games because you dare to put a non-basic land in your deck. So I'm taking it because I think it's really powerful. And it will allow me to be any color combination from here. But I think a Swords to Plowshares or Treasure Cruise is totally defensible. I think Ephemerate is low-key a very powerful card in a lot of cubes. I don't know. Let's look at the list. Do we have Evoke Elementals in this list? We do. We have Solitude. We have Grief. We do not appear to have Endurance or Fury. It seems hard to come back from a Solitude Ephemerate start or a Solitude Grief start. I guess a Solitude Ephemerate start, your opponent would need three targets worth exiling before you'd be excited to do that. But the Grief start's just like, take three of your cards, have a 3-2 menace. Good luck. Yep.
1: Yeah, I've done that once. I don't want to start trying to do that again.
0: So that strikes me as like the the highest risk, highest reward card in the pack. I do think Ephemerate is probably the most part of broken things you can do in this cube. But I'm just going to take Wasteland and see what the
1: next pack has in store for me personally. All right. So this cube has a twist, though. Everybody starts with a Cogwork Librarian, which means we could actually take two cards in this pack and put a Cogwork Librarian back in. Would you consider doing that and taking two cards, spending that extremely powerful ability? Hmm.
0: I probably wouldn't here. The only time I'd be really excited to do that, I think pack one pick one, is if there were like two S tier cards that like went really well together. And you could argue you maybe mean, like,
1: Titania and Wasteland is that. I would say that is that. I would also say Treasure Cruise and Shark Typhoon because you can cycle think, you can cycle Shark Typhoon, which fuels your Treasure Cruise, <laughs>
0: or the thing you
1: really want to do.
0: I think you're. I mean, I love Shark Typhoon. I I could be one. I could be a member of the Shark Typhoon uh, Kissy Smoochie fan club. But I think you're a little high on it here. I don't think it's better than Treasure Cruise. I don't think it's better than Medillion Click. Sure. I think it's maybe the worst blue card in the pack, aside from Factor Fiction or Sahili. So middle of <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. I think if you're going to take two, it's Titania Wasteland. And at that point, I think you're kind of like doing it for fun. Like, I don't think Titania is actually this high of a pick. I think mm-hmm. you want to already have a bunch of fetch lands. Let that be a payoff for your deck, not like a pull into it. But it's certainly very cool to get back your wasteland with Titania, waste your own land, and have 20 power in play. Like. That's fun. Oh, yeah. 15 with only those two cards. Don't write in, I know. But you can have a another thing that also sacrifices a <laughs> land.
1: Simply have another thing. Simply have
0: another thing. I should also acknowledge, I think it's not wrong here to start of a junk Triome if you want. It's crazy flexible. I think if you're taking it, you're kind of committing to, like, playing a many-color good stuff deck. Otherwise, like, the junk Triome is not that good of a card in your red-black deck, right? You'll play it, but it's not great. The reason for you take it early, I think, is because of how it turns on so many fetch lands and lets you have a really strong start to a greedier, wider mana base. And so if you're the kind of person that likes to draft them any color good stuff decks, I could totally see starting on Proving Ground here. Maybe even burning your Cockroach Library and starting on Proving Ground braid Elf and just say, I'm going to cast spells and not care what color I they mean, are. That's
1: That's an exciting double pick.
0: It is, yeah. We did the uh, start with a cogwood Librarian. I bought eight of them to keep them up on Magic cube, so if we wanted to, we could just start with a Cockroach Librarian. And I think the first experiment was pretty fun. I don't really know what it did to decks yet. I mean, I think, obviously, it should just make them better. I don't know how much better, but I think if everyone starts with a Cockroach Librarian, aside from people just getting overwhelmed and making worse decisions, which I don't think is going to happen much, everyone's deck should just be some percentage better because you start with a Cockroach Librarian. The question is just how much better and also... Is it fun? And the first time it was certainly fun because it was novel. The question is, will it still be fun? The tenth time we draft with a Hogwarts librarian in the uh, starting in everyone's drafted zone.
1: Yeah, I think that I I prefer it more as an occasional treat. I do love Hogwarts librarian. I have one in my main cube. It does change the draft a lot, and a lot of the draft tends to then be about like how am I going to accumulate these and when am I going to spend a bunch, and it leads to exciting moments, but also kind of some less exciting moments. And I think it also really rewards people that enjoy doing that kind of like metagame in the draft uh, and are willing to, you know, stock them up, pack one, and then really Is it a different metagame than just drafting regularly?
0: Like, to some degree, you're always trying to figure out what your opponents are doing when you're Mm -hmm. drafting no matter what you're doing. It's a question to me of just like, do you as a player value power now or the potential of power later? Mm -hmm. Which I think is an interesting question to ask people. I will say that I do... Enjoy playing with Concord Librarian. I think it's a unique feel bad when it's open on the other side of a table in your cube and there's only one and you watch it get passed back and forth between mm-hmm. two or three people multiple times and never getting to you. And you're like, everyone's deck over there got X percent better and I had no chance at it. So I think starting with it is kind of cool. But eight is also I, a I ton. Think,
1: I think that's a great, great experience because it's very funny how frustrated you get.
0: <laughs> I'm glad it makes you happy, Anthony. That's, that's all I aim to do. All right, everyone send in your custom cards for Anthony sorter of Sands uh, I just <laughs> want to see what people have in mind I'm sure we got a lot of really clever listeners out there I think we'll get some cool submissions for Anthony sorter of sands I promise to uh make up some weird artwork with some photos I have of Anthony if people send in some cool custom card designs
1: should I should I clarify that there was a reason I was sorting sand or should we just yeah like I guess leave we can talk about why
0: you were sorting sand.
1: I mean, it was pretty cool, actually. So, it was a research project where we're actually sorting foraminifera fossils, these really tiny, single, I think they're single celled. No, some of them are maybe multi celled. Anyway, really small sea creatures, kind of like diatoms, if you're familiar with diatoms. Oh, I think we're familiar with diatoms. Uh, And they have these little shells. So, think of them as like tiny little microscopic seashells. Basically, did you know that some grains of sand are actually fossils? Exactly. Listener. And this project involved doing a bunch of cores in the Gulf of Mexico, like taking a big, you know, column of sand from the bottom bottom of the gulf, uh, and then we would sort out certain species of ferminifer shells from the different levels of those core samples, and then you could put those in a machine that would analyze the chemistry of those uh, shells carbon
0: dating or whatever
1: not carbon dating them because i think they already sort of had a sense of the age of the rate of deposition things like that but you could sort of infer things like how much oxygen was in the water and what was the temperature of the water and things like that based on the chemical makeup of these little shells but you needed to have consistently like one species over time so that's why we had to sort out all these little shells literally under a microscope with a like Three-haired brush that just had enough like static electricity to pick up one of these little shells at at a time.
0: I'm glad we actually clarified this because I think people would have for sure thought I meant sorting through sand to find something else. No, no, no. Not the literally sorting grains of sand, but that is part. what you actually did was sorted grains of sand into yeah. the good grains of sand and the not grains like, of sand no, we not don't it's care just about.
1: Consistent, just an important.
0: The important <laughs> grains of sand and the garbage grains of sand we throw in the trash.
1: I mean, but it was arbitrary which set. Probably not. I no, mean, they probably picked ones. No, that they were... like
0: the fossils and not the not fossils.
1: Well, there were a lot of other fossils that we just weren't using.
0: Right, those were also garbage. Okay. <laughs> How many fossils do you think are in the average scoop of sand, Anthony?
1: I mean, maybe fossil is also not exactly the correct term. It depends on the age and stuff like that. A lot of sand is carbonaceous material from animals,
0: but. I mean, like, whole creatures. Obviously, like, a little tiny chip of a something else's shell or something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's what almost all sand is. Yeah, yeah.
1: Or bits of, you know, quartz Silica and stuff like or whatever, that. Silica. Yeah. I think it's going to vary wildly depending on where you are. I think some places, 100%. 100%? Places, zero. I mean, yeah, have you seen the dolomite cliffs? Those are just, like... Literally, no. Just, okay. Well, <laughs> I'm going to Google it later. Diatoms. All right, listen, I'm off to Google the dolomite cliffs,
0: and uh, you should do the same. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Lucky Paper Radio. All of our music is produced by DJ James Nasty. All the magic cards are produced by Wizards of the Coast, who may not listen to us list custom designs. So we will not be sharing <laughs> your designs for Anthony Sorter of Sands on the podcast. That's just for us to have as a little treat. This podcast is made by us thinking really hard about magic cards and then speaking into microphones about it. I feel motivated to get one of these cubes done, Anthony. Done enough that we can at least do like an online play test or something like a low-level first run to see how it feels I, I often think that just like it's very easy to get people to draft a cube online and like play no games just like hey I want to like get a draft together let's like all draft a deck from this cube see how we feel about it I think that you learn a lot from that and it's way easier to organize than it is to get like a whole draft night yeah together. that's true do it I'll get there it's hard do it. I've been sitting I've been watching Hillary play Tears of the Kingdom every night and just sitting there going through Scryfall and adding cards to the maybe board of this cube list one little piece at a time